0: We are in the middle of this series now on 1 Peter, faith no matter what. Uh, We are talking about risk. We are talking about the pressures of life and whether or not we let those hold us back from where God wants us to go. I'm assuming your psyche is maybe similar to mine, in that if you really were honest about your life, you would say that the greatest barrier to your success. And maybe the person who's standing in your way the most is yourself, right? You don't have to admit to that, but I would, I would admit to that. I would say, yeah, that, you know, I, there are all sorts of people that I could point fingers at and say, you know, if that person was better or different or would give me something I need, then maybe, you know, that, that, that's the person in the way. But if I'm honest, I recognize that those issues are not really the issue for me. Um, I'm in my own way too often. And when it comes to taking a step of faith, the reasons not to take it are usually reasons inside of me. The barriers, the bad decisions, the bad attitudes, those are usually mine. And if I can come to the end of myself, like the song just said, that's when I can actually experience the faith life, the life of freedom, adventure, obedience, next steps, but as long as I'm tied up in me and my way and how do I make myself feel good, um, I'll probably miss most of what life's about. It's probably true for you as well. Now, in the book of First Peter, we're encountering people who have some things in common with us, but one big thing not in common with us, at least not right now in common with us is these are human beings with all the same desires and failures and weaknesses and disappointments that we would face in our lives so when we talk about pressure stress like they would have all that they would have family stresses career stresses you know worrying about the future not feeling like they're adequate to meet the tasks they had all of that But they also had one other thing that most of us in this room have not personally experienced to the level that they had. They had external persecution coming upon them, all sorts of pressure from the governing authorities of those days for them to renounce their faith, to walk away from it. It would have been so much easier not to be a follower of Jesus in the early first century it would have been so much easier, like there, there was no cultural Christianity, there was no like, oh yeah, go to whatever church you want, that's cool, like none of those attitudes of toleration and moderation. No, if you, if you decided to follow Jesus, that was an active rebellion against the systems of, the, of that world at that time, and some people interpreted it as an active rebellion against the government, which meant they persecuted you they killed you, they imprisoned you, they took you away from your family, they forced you to lose your job. Sometimes people would turn their backs on one another even without the government's help and there would be persecution locally, personally. So when, for, when Peter writes this letter that we call 1 Peter, he's speaking to people that are like us but also people that are under a lot more pressure than you or I are used to feeling when it comes to our faith. It's really helpful to read what he said it's helpful to understand it in context Right, so we're going to start that process today and there's so much context there's so many interesting things to learn in this book of first peter that we're going to break it down into pieces of this series and we'll go through the text but we'll also go through some of the history and what people were experiencing just one little bite at a time okay now in our series and what we're going to do here's sort of the flow of how we'll walk through the book and I would encourage you to read along uh, maybe in your own quiet times your own time of devotion with the Lord you could read these texts over and over again if you want to just to learn as many, as much as you can as we go through this uh, but this is how we'll approach it we'll sort of start with questions and then seek the answers in the text Okay, so you think last week, we we're here, we're going to read a book about suffering and sticking with it to the very end with Jesus. Okay, well, why should we listen to Peter about that? Okay, Today, why should we keep believing? When the pressure does get turned up, and when you're struggling, when all of your friends are going the wrong direction, maybe even when you're under direct persecution, why not just give up? Like, Why, why keep going a direction that's going to be so painful to keep going in? Now, just a review. Uh, if you want to go ahead and open to 1 Peter, chapter 1. Last week we looked at that very beginning. We learned a little bit about Peter and the context he was coming from, and also the people he was speaking to. People scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey on our map, but back then it was called Asia Minor. And there's some cities listed, some provinces listed there. And then Peter's writing to believers who are scattered among those provinces. Probably these books, just like the other letters of the New Testament, started out going to their addressee, but eventually were passed around to other churches and other places as well. When Peter writes this, and it's interesting, he's using language that would have been familiar as language from the Old Testament about, hey, you are God's chosen people. You are in the family, and and God has this plan for you. And usually, back in that context, people were used to hearing that related to the Jews, not so much to all the outsiders, all the Gentiles, that's everybody else. And yet here, Peter is kind of calling everyone to be a part of this family and saying, hey, you're, you're in, you're as close to God as you can be. Um, and, and I'm writing to you as one of the family. You're not, it's not that we're different from each other because of where we came from. No, together we're facing this. All of us are aliens in this world that we live in. All of us are not quite like, we're not at home, even though it's our home, because we're, we have an allegiance to something more, something heavenly, not just earthly. So when Peter writes this, um, I think it's interesting to say, well, what were these people experiencing? What was their world like? That will help us understand what we're going to read. Now, this book, 1 Peter, was likely written in 63 or 64 AD, and it was written from Rome, The Roman emperor at that time was this guy, Nero, known as one of history's worst and greatest villains, right? Any any time that someone complains about some modern politician, say, man, that person's crazy, or that person doesn't have all together, Nero was way, way worse than anything we've ever heard of or experienced in our generation. Um, Nero was not only probably actually crazy, and a terrible politician and a terrible leader for his people but he was also actively even demonically inspired to angrily persecute anyone who followed Jesus Um, there was this story um, and where this kind of began and this happened in 64 AD so you think when Peter writes what he's writing Either it's right as the political wind is turning this really terrible direction or it's during this persecution time. Okay, so you think as Peter's writing these words, a lot of terrible stuff is going down in Rome and across the Roman Empire. Nero, um, and there's lots of theories about why this happened, but he presided over a fire that essentially burned 75% of the city of Rome, which was a big city. Lots of people died, lots of destruction of property, incalculable harm, and when you talk about could an administration survive a failure, like that's about as big of a failure as you could possibly have. And Nero's looking around, and to save himself, he needs someone to blame. So who does he pick? He says it's those Christians. They're the ones who set the fire. They're the ones who've been resisting Roman rule all this time. And Nero unleashed a whole host of torturous persecutions on Christians, most of whom were poor. A lot of them were among the slave population because as Christianity came through, the gospel starts to be shared. It's the people that, you know, the, the people with the most need in their lives, they're the ones that are more willing to respond. So you have all these people being painted as the enemy and the whole city of Rome, the whole culture, the whole governing st- structure getting all ramped up and angry at Christians hey one of the senators who was at the time that this happened a child but he grew up and became a senator and then he wrote a history book called Annals um, back in the early 200s uh, he wrote of this time therefore to stop the rumor uh, that the that Rome had that had set Rome on fire uh, he Emperor Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished those with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were generally hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procreator of Judea, in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out yet again, not only through Judea, where the mischief had originated, but also now through the city of Rome, whither all things horrible and disgraceful flow from all quarters as to a common receptacle and where they are encouraged." Hey, and maybe we would say, hey, that's still probably true of big cities, right? Um, accordingly, first, those were arrested who confessed they were Christians. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. So here it got to be, uh, like the, the it got amped up to the point where you're a hater, you, have, you don't belong here, and what Nero did is he used this new sentiment of hatred toward Christians and calling them haters of the human race to unleash all of this persecution and torture. If you read about this, it's hard to stomach what happened. So many people nailed to crosses during this time. Um, Christians doused in oil and hung up in Nero's palatial gardens and lit up in the evening to provide the light for the walking in the garden. Um, Christians dressed in bloody robes made out of animal skins and then wild dogs turned on them. All sorts of horrible things that would be unspeakable, incalculable, just, just terrors upon the church there in Rome. So here's First Peter, written at that time. Again, either just before all of this started to go down or during it, and Peter is writing to people who are now, they're being governed by the, empire, the, the emperor who is, who is perpetrating these crimes in, in the home city of Rome. And, and now Christians everywhere are starting to realize they're next. Like they're, they're, this, is, this is not, the wind of freedom is not blowing in this time at all. So if you're a believer at that time, what are some of the things going through your mind? If you're in Rome obviously, you're you're directly in the crucible there. You are, I mean, it's bad news. You're hiding. But if you're outside of Rome, but you're in the empire, you're probably starting to realize that your newfound faith in Jesus, and remember, everybody was a newer believer at this time. This is only 64 AD. So even the oldest of the old believers, like nobody could get up and say what Dwayne said a little earlier. I've been singing the song for 50 years. No one had been a Christian for 50 years. Um, this this is all new. So maybe the maybe the, the, the eldest among the believers would be have, have maybe been following Jesus for like thirty years at this time, um, and and so here come all, here comes all this persecution, all this terror, all this fear. Even the people who are not under the gun directly, I mean, they're thinking it could happen to them. And so, in that situation, wouldn't you be asking yourself, why should I keep believing? it would be easier to give this up wouldn't it i mean that the whole world as you know it is turning against you the most powerful government and empire in the world is turning against you and and all you would have to do to escape harm's way is stop following jesus just renounce him just pledge your allegiance to the roman emperor again Um, Go back to whatever religion you came from. Go back to the idols of Greece or something. But don't follow Jesus. If you do, you're under the gun. Why keep believing? When the pressure's on, when the persecution is ratcheting up, why not give up yourself? Okay? What we're going to do is answer this question with nine statements. Nine reasons to keep believing no matter what happens in this world no matter what happens to you in your personal life or what happens to you in kind of our corporate community life so let's look at the bible here and find those reasons verse three all praise to god the father of our lord jesus christ it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because god raised jesus christ from the dead now, it's interesting, here's Peter's leading statement, which you would think, I mean, he could, he could have started off with, have you heard how terrible things are here in Rome? But he calls them to think beyond all of that right from the get-go. He calls them to, like, he's not even mentioning the obvious issues that are all over the place, like terrible things that, I mean, think of today, like, I mean, man, social media would be all lit up everywhere with this stuff if this was happening, and yet Peter doesn't enter into any of that at the outset here he starts right off with the bigger picture and we've got to praise God because he has let us into his family we've been born again based on Jesus and what he did so that's really the first and best reason to keep believing this world is not what defines you anymore when you've been born again you now have a new citizenship a new purpose in your life so here's the first of those nine statements the best mercy I've received from God is that he has allowed me to be born again into eternal life. Man, if that's all God ever gave me, if the rest of my earthly life was all terrible all the time, that's still an amazing mercy. And that mercy and that gift makes any other suffering I'll endure pale in comparison to this bigger picture. So we start right off not by saying, man, our life's really terrible here in Rome. We start right off by going, we've been granted the greatest mercy ever anywhere. It's a huge reason to say thanks to God, a huge reason to praise Him. You think about the word mercy here, in the situation that you would be in, you would be hoping for some sort of earthly mercy, right? I mean, your prayers would be, Lord, would you give us mercy so that we don't face this persecution? Uh, Or maybe some, you know, Roman centurion goes by and you say, I hope that guy is merciful. Like you'd be thinking about mercy in the human earthly sense. But here, the best mercy that you could get is not escape from the sufferings. It's recognizing that you're a part of something bigger that transcends all of what this world has. So whether this world goes good or goes terrible or whether your life goes well or is, is 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 a big train wreck, Either way, you'd say, the greatest thing I have going for me is I'm born again into eternal life. That is an amazing mercy. So when the going gets tough, why would you give up? When what it is that you're signing up for as a believer in Jesus is not comfort and luxury in this life. You're a part of something transcendent and eternal. And so if anything, struggles, pressure, stress, persecution would make you want this even more from God not make you give up just flips our perspective right instead of saying God why is my life so bad I think I'll give up on you we say Lord because my life here is so bad that is why I trust you that is why I'm so glad to be on your team okay here's the second reason we'll pull this out of verse four when you think okay so for someone who's under persecution and they're saying what's next for me or am I next well I have a great expectation of a priceless inheritance verse 4 the end of verse 3 says now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay so you're an you're an early church believer you're you're sitting there calculating your five-year strategic plan for your life and you realize wait a minute I can't really make a five-year plan when there are literally people knocking down doors and hauling Christians off to the Colosseum. When my life might be over, my family, my business, everything I've worked for might be cut off in any minute. How do I plan? What's my future? And so they're expecting, in an earthly sense, doom and gloom. Okay, and then you think this letter from Peter is heading over to the area that today we call Turkey, circulating around, and all these terrible stories of persecution are percolating through and it's empowering all the radical elements and suddenly christians everywhere are under pressure when they think about their future what are they imagining what is their expectation death loss sorrow and yet what does peter say the expectation should be could be he says man our hearts are filled with great expectation of a priceless inheritance no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens to you and to your physical body or to the material things that are around you, there is something kept in heaven that is so glorious, so valuable, you could not even put a price tag on it. Can't wait for that to happen. So here again, it's the perspective change, right? If you just look down at your situation, there might be all sorts of reasons for discouragement. But when you start to look up, you realize... Sure, those sufferings, those problems in my life, those are still there, but those are not the whole story about me and my life. There's something more happening here that I can rejoice in. Okay, let's keep reading then from verse 4 and then into verse 5. It says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. So the inheritance and your soul and your ability to acquire it are all being protected by God, again, no matter what happens. So maybe you are fed to the lions. Maybe you do get crucified along with a big line of other people. Maybe things are as bad as they could possibly be in your life. None of what this world's mess is can ruin what God is about to give me. So again, if you're tempted to give up, Why would you give up on this amazing inheritance that you're about to inherit, that it's about to happen, and the the persecution and the death and the negativity that's all around you actually brings that whole inheritance closer to you, like you might get there faster than you were supposed to. And so you say, Lord, even if that's what happens, I can't wait to experience all this joy. The fourth reason no matter what happens God's power is protecting my soul when we read this text as Americans in a generally you know sort of safe and free environment I think when we hear the word protection we're thinking physical protection so we're looking at it going well wait a minute God protecting people and yet they're being killed for their faith they're starving to death because they're their jobs are taken away they're being pulled out of their families they're being tortured how is that protection God is protecting their souls preparing them for this glory in eternity and so even in the moment of maximum death and destruction in this world they're fully protected there's no risk there's nothing that any of these external powers can do to mess with their soul Jesus said, Hey, people can kill your body, but after that, they can do no more. You should be fearing the one who's in control of your soul. So we look to God and we say, Lord, the reason I don't want to give up is because I'm trusting my soul to you, especially when my world is falling apart and when everything is going wrong. All right, number five, how can I be glad in this sad world? Well, there's wonderful joy ahead. Verse six says, So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. All the trials are temporary. The joy, the gladness is not. Now, what's challenging is that just like you and I, we usually look around at our circumstances and let that determine our attitude. So if someone says, are you having a good day? If you say yes, you know, you smile. Yeah, things are going great. If you say, man, no, it's not going well, we're dragged down. And sometimes our day-to-day happiness equation is it gets mixed up with the joy or sadness that's actually in our heart. And here what, what he's saying is that even when times are terrible, you're still supposed to be filled with joy because your joy doesn't have anything to do with the times being terrible or the situation you're in or how other people are treating you or what your prognosis is for the future. Joy is not related to circumstances. He says you can be joyful, you can be glad because of what God has in store for you. Even though you have to endure some suffering right now that's temporary, there's even purpose in that. Okay, look at the next verse. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. My trials are temporary test treatments that refine my faith. The trials are not about seeing if your faith is there. I mean, it does do that, I guess. But the testing we're talking about is a little bit more like this. The crucible right where have you ever watched one of those gold hunting shows where they're out in Alaska or Yukon or something and they're they find gold in a mountain and now they're mining it all out it's not like they pull out gold bars right what, what is it that they pull out of the mountainside a bunch of rocks right and like inside those rocks there's little flakes of gold little specks of shiny dust and they're and what they have to do is first it goes into a big machine that grinds it all up turns it into porridge or whatever, and then, and then more and more refinement happens until it finally ends up in something like this, almost completely pure gold, 90-something percent pure. They put it into this, and what happens as it gets superheated? Then they add chlorine to it. They do a bunch of chemical processes as well. As the fire tests that gold, it purifies it. And the things that are not gold boil up to the top and either burn away or can get taken away and the more you go through this purification burning process, the purer the gold is. So when you hold a gold coin and it says, you know, 99.99% pure gold, well, that had to go through a really difficult, terrible process to ever get to that stage. Like that gold you're holding didn't come out of the mountainside that way probably came out of the mountainside just looking like regular rocks, but there was gold inside and all this purification happened and now you have this pure gold. There are some medical instruments that require higher purity of gold than that. You think 99.99% pure is the standard for like the gold bars that the government would issue. Well, now if you want to go to the next level, they'll, they'll say that for the medical instruments that use gold, certain ones, the purity level has to be 99 point and then five nines. It's got to be, I mean, statistically, there can't be any impurity in that gold. So how would they get it to that level of purity? Keep burning, keep treating. It's not a fun process. If you're the gold, you think this is the ultimate torture. But what's actually happening is purification so that you'll shine all the brighter. You'll be that much more pure at the end of the story, at the end of the process. So when you think about life ending up, your faith ending up like pure gold and says it's worth more than that, the way it gets there is the temporary test trials that you're going to go through in your life. So I would never look at a trial and say to somebody, hey bring it, like you know I want to sign up for trials Um, And I would never say to someone that, oh, I think, you know, trials are good and like you should just face it with a fake smile on your face. But I would say that because God allows trials into our lives is not a reason to give up faith. In fact, what we can do is we can look up to God and say, Lord, thank you for another opportunity for my faith to get even stronger, for my faith to be refined and be even purer. So it's a perspective change. The same thing is happening something going wrong in health or family or money or persecution. Instead of resenting God for those things, we look up to God and we say, Lord, if that is what it will take to make my faith even stronger, then Lord, I'll welcome that and I'll still have gladness in my heart. Because this life and this circumstance is not what I'm living for anyway. This is all adding up to something eternal that I get to be a part of. And so Lord, whatever it takes uh, to refine me, I'm willing to accept that in my life. Hey, verse, or the seventh reason not to give up is my trials, strength, and faith will be rewarded with praise, glory, and honor. Now, this verse, you've got to read it twice. If you have your Bible open, I can guarantee you're going to read it twice because it doesn't sound right when you read it. Ready? The end of verse seven. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Okay, now think about that for a second. Who is getting the praise, the glory, and the honor in this moment? You. Paul wrote of the day of judgment that there is a moment when each person receives his praise from God we're used to praising God, right? I mean, that's what, you know, when we sing or we go out in nature and you're like, wow, Lord, you know, thank you. I want to praise you. And that's appropriate. And we get to do that as often as we possibly can. But there's also a moment when the tables turn and when, your, when the faith that you've held on to, when you get to the finish line, that there is a well done coming from the Lord to you. There is a moment when all the people who didn't understand, all the people who lived for themselves, even the people who directly persecuted you, when those people see the truth, and in that moment, you're the one that's lifted up in honor and glory and praise. It reverses everything that was happening in this world. So you imagine here, if you're an early church believer, you're facing persecution directly, you're ostracized, you're set to the corner, everything about your life like there is no future for you you're not really sure what's going to happen tomorrow the last thing on your mind is the idea that you would ever get lifted up and yet here is this promise that as your faith is tested and refined and strengthened by trials there will come a day when you're the one that gets lifted up and everyone sees the truth about what was in all of our hearts for some people that will be a terrible day for other people, that will be a welcome day. So rather than giving up in the moment of stress, we say, Lord, I'm, I'm not living for this world or the praise of these people or even that everybody else will understand. I'm living for that future moment when your glory is revealed. And in that moment, I know everyone will see the truth. Hey, here's the eighth reason and we pull it out of verse eight. The ultimate reward for my love and faith toward God will be eternal salvation so someone might be praying for temporary salvation right lord deliver me from this persecution deliver me from these you know the people who are going to throw me in the coliseum lord would you deliver my friends from the persecution they're experiencing right now those are appropriate prayers but those are earth level prayers there's something else happening that's a lot more important than those verse 8 you love him even though you've never seen him though you do not see him now you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls so you imagine that moment when you're standing there in heaven with jesus your soul is saved and secure None of the world's temptations or trials can harm you anymore. That's the moment you're living for and looking forward to. That's the moment God has promised you. That's why you hold on to your faith. So if anything, the trials in this life make us lean forward toward that, not make us shrink back from it. The harder our lives get, the tighter we can cling to our faith and the more our faith future means to us. It might be a peril that we all experience right now of living in relatively good times in a relatively free situation. We don't pay that much of a price. If we say, I want to become a Christian, a lot of people would just shrug and not even care. And so we might get our own perspective mixed up and kind of forget about life really being about heaven and eternity, and this is just the testing and proving grounds Uh, We might have it a little too good and too comfortable. They didn't in the first century. These believers didn't. That's why Paul was saying, hey, even though, or Peter was saying, even though you can't see him, even though you've never met him, you love him, you put your faith in him, and that is what you're holding on to. That's going to result in the salvation of your soul. Here's the last reason my salvation and destiny are so wonderful that even angels are saying, wow, look at that. Okay, look at the next couple paragraphs here. It's kind of amazing. Verse 10, this salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you, Now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. It's fascinating, isn't it? I don't know what angel water cooler conversation would be like, but it's interesting to note that it probably wasn't them looking at one another and glancing down through the clouds at earth or something and saying, man, have you seen that Nero character? how terrible things are getting or have you seen all this suffering these people like what's fascinating to the angels is how wonderful and amazing God's plan is how God is redeeming people what the salvation looks like the glory that's attached to all of this where you might even say that the reason they're not looking down and commenting on the trials of the day is maybe the trials of the day are so insignificant compared to what's coming that what's coming has all of their attention. So for us living here on earth, we would look horizontally at things and, you know, we would see the trial that's in front of us. We would see the pain point in our lives. We would see some family thing that's not going well, some financial thing that's broken, some, some political thing that's a mess. And we, we would be looking at that and fixating on that the angels aren't looking at it from the same perspective. They're they're looking at our salvation going, can you believe that? Like, look at how awesome that is. So you and I have a choice. We can keep looking at our circumstances from an earthly perspective, or as we're called to in this text, we can change our perspective, think about things in a different light, in a different way. So I have a few questions to ask you for prayer, for consideration, Kind of wrap this up today and we'll obviously we'll keep going I'd encourage you to keep reading in chapter one uh, this week and we'll come back next week we'll keep talking about it but here's some questions to pray about as you go today what is your current refining trial it's possible that you're one of the lucky ones here this morning and you can't think of anything like, oh, my life is actually pretty good right now I don't know if I would say that for myself in fact, when I think about my own timeline in life, I would say there, it seems like there's always sort of a current refining trial happening. Sometimes it varies in intensity, but it's pretty frequent that I would look at my life and go, not everything is what I wish it was. And, and those pain points, those pressures, those stresses are all opportunities for my faith to grow, for my faith to be strengthened. I could, I could take them with an angry, resistant heart, And get selfish, get bitter, have a sour look on my face throughout life and go, man, my life isn't what it should be. That would be a temptation to go that way. Or I could say, you know what? No matter what happens in this world to me or to my circumstances, Lord, I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing perspective because I realize that even the worst things that happen to me can strengthen my faith and have me all the more ready. For my ultimate and real future so just think of it for a second what is your current refining trial probably doesn't match the level of roman persecution in 64 ad but it's a trial for you god can strengthen you to face that and do more with that in your life than you expect When under pressure, do you choose gladness, great expectation, inexpressible joy? These are all words right here from 1 Peter. Or do you choose something else? The key word in this slide here is the word choose. Remember, in the midst of all of this turmoil and all this darkness and fear, verse 6, Peter said, "'Be truly glad.'" So, Lord, whatever happens, I'm going to choose to be glad instead of choosing something else. Another question that you might think about, ponder, have you ever thanked God for the presence of refining trials in your life? So you, you realize that maybe you're, you know, 92% refined, But that next trial you're going to face, getting thrown back into the crucible again, you are come out stronger, purer. And so while you're not glad that it's happening, in one sense you can say, well, Lord, thank you for this process. Thank you that even when the world means evil, you can bring good. Thank you for not letting my life be so easy that I forget about you and eternity so we say Lord whatever this world whatever's happening to me I can face it with joy in my heart recognizing that there's purpose in all of it the struggles of earth can either drag you down into selfish sadness or they can lift you up into eternal expectations the next time you feel pressure which direction will you choose let's pray and ask for God's help to make the right choice in that moment. Lord, all of us today know that our lives often face difficulty. Things don't go the way that we wish they would. Sometimes we take steps forward. We also get pushed back. Sometimes we face crises of health or money or family or career or education that push us to the brink of being depressed discouraged angry bitter and then lord we know that sometimes external pressure comes as well some of our brothers and sisters in faith face that even today in different parts of the world Things very similar to what happened to the first century church Lord whether we face a human future of freedom and plenty or whether persecution and poverty are around the corner for us I pray that you would give us the grace to cling tightly to our faith to not stop believing in the moment when we need to believe the most Instead, Lord, to lift our eyes above our circumstances and to see what it is that you have built us to do and to become, to see that eternal salvation and vision that we're a part of, that makes any trial in this life seem like not all that big of a deal. Lord, it's hard for us to know that emotionally, even if we can know it academically here. So I pray that you'd give us strength to face the next trial that we'll have in our lives. And I pray that we would see your refinement and purification in us. That Lord, we would be able to look forward with gladness and with joy and to not be defined by the things of this world anymore. We have a better future a bigger future, and a lot to look forward to. In Jesus' name, we commit all this to you today. Amen. All right, we'll go in the peace of Jesus. We will see you next week.